come to you this morning and thank you for the time that we've had worshiping you and praising you and glorifying what you have done for us, the victory that you have won through us, through the cross, through the burial and resurrection of Christ Jesus, over death, over hell, over sin, over fear, over sickness, over every weapon of the enemy. Our Savior and Lord has gone before us and he's defeated his power. And Father, we come today to learn how to walk more in the victory that you have won for us, how to walk more in line with what you have provided for us, that we may receive the fullness of it, walk in the fullness of it, and allow you to give the fullness of it through us. And Father, for that we turn to the Word. We thank you that you have given your Word to the church, and you've given us your Spirit to take this Word and to open the eyes of our understanding, that we would truly see what is the hope of your calling for our life. And so, Father, right now we put that task into your hands and trust you and ask you to touch each one of us with exactly what it is we need to see, to hear, and to be changed in our lives. And Father, I trust you today. I put into you, into your hands this morning my mind, my voice, my heart, that you may flow through me only what you want to say. And we thank you for the grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, you can tell by that graphic that we're talking in a series called First Things First, which is an appropriate thing to do at the beginning of the year, to get things in the right order. And we've learned that God is a God of order. God is orderly in Himself. There's an order within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's an amazing order to the universe. They just discovered, they just confirmed something this week that Albert Einstein discovered a hundred years ago and confirmed it and that God knew back eons ago. And that's, so God is a God of order. The universe is very orderly because God has ordered it that way. And the, in fact, the only thing that's out of order in God's universe is our lives. Nature follows in order. Everything that God, in fact, nature, everything that God creates follows His order and instantly obeys His word. Do you realize that? Everything God creates instantly obeys His word. When Jesus spoke to the storm, it didn't pray about it, it didn't fast about it, it didn't wait, it instantly obeyed Him. The only thing God ever created that does not instantly obey Him is us. Because He gave us a free will. Why would God do that? So that we, as an act of our free will, could choose to love Him. He doesn't care whether the elephants love him or the monkeys love him. He doesn't care whether, the, whether the, the oceans love him. He doesn't care whether the stars love him. The only thing that matters to God is does his people that he's created in his image love him. So God is a God of order, and not only is he a God of order, everything that God wants to do for us, his protection, his blessings, his provision, everything that God wants to do for us has to flow through that order. And, 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 and in many cases, the reason why we're struggling, in many cases, the reason why we're not walking in the fullness of His blessing, in many cases, why sometimes things happen in our lives and we don't know why they happen is because something in our life is out of order. And what we do is we go around and look at every other situation, every circumstance, but we're very reluctant to look inside and question, is maybe something out of order in my life? And I really felt led that having gone through what we spent so much time on last year, and we'll pick up it again a little later on, and why are we here? We're here to preach the gospel. Having been charged with that purpose now in order to carry it out, we're going to need God's fullness of His Spirit in our lives and in this prayer. But it cannot happen when things are out of order. 
Because the very first thing the Spirit does when He comes in His tangible presence is get things in order. You know, we want the power of the Spirit. We want to flow in the presence of God. But if you go back to the first few chapters of the book of Acts, when something was out of order, bad things happened. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. They simply lied about their offering and died on the spot because the power of God and the presence of God was so strong. So God wants to get things in order in our life, get things in order in the church. Paul sent Titus to Crete. He says, I want you to go there and get things in order in that church. So things can be out of order in the church. Things can be out of order in our lives. And so we're going back and looking at, well, what is God's order? We're learning to get first things first. Well, the place where we began to do that was in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where God tells the children of Israel what His order for their lives are. Exodus is full of this. Leviticus has some aspects of it. Uh, God establishes. He brought His people out of Egypt. He's delivered them out of the bondage of, of Egypt, and He has delivered us out of the bondage of this world, out of the bondage of sin, out of the bondage of all the devil's works. He's delivered us out of it into His kingdom but now God wants us to get things right. So if you put Exodus 20, verse 1, we're going to look at to begin with. We've talked about this before. God says, As I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Go to the next verse. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God is introducing himself to his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We saw before that the Lord and God are two different words. The word Lord is Yahweh, which is God revealing. I am the self-existent one. I don't need anything. All right? It all came out of me. This is who I am, and I am your God. That is Elohim, which means a God which is like your source, your provider, the source of whatever you need. I am the one that takes care of you and provides for you. So he's saying, I am the Lord, your provider. I am the Lord, your source. I am the Lord, your protection, your deliverer, everything you need. I am the one you're to look to, and I'm the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, verse 3. And the consequence of this is, as a result, you shall have no other gods before me. We're talking about first things first, and God is establishing from the very beginning of, of, with Israel when He's brought them out of bondage who He is and the foundation for everything else He's going to do with them and for everything else on their, their everything that uh, the blessings that God has for them and then the curse that comes when they don't follow it is all around this issue. You shall have no other gods before me. And I shared with you that where they had come out of for 430 years was the land of Egypt that had thousands of gods. Whenever they had a need, whether it was somebody that was barren, they couldn't produce children, or they had drought, or whatever it was, they created for themselves an imaginary God that they would worship, and they would worship this God, hoping this God would bring favor in that particular area of their life and of their need. And in order to do that, they would make an image of that God and worship it, and they would have them in their household. They would have them, all, you know... On the dashboard of their car, I didn't mean to go there. They would have them all over the place, and whenever they would see them, they would worship them. 
They would bow before them. They would worship them by giving homage to them, by putting their trust in these gods to provide their need. And God is the real God, the true and living God, who brought them out of Egypt and saying, you can't have any other gods but me because I'm the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one that's delivered you. And the first thing in your life has to be, I have to be first. I have to be first. So what we're looking at here, what this really comes down to is priorities. Examining what are the priorities in my life, because that's what God's talking about. What are the, well, so what is a priority? Well, we've all talked about that, I'm sure, and I'm sure you all, I know we all have priorities. The question are, they're the right priorities in God's eyes. So what is a priority? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary, several dictionaries yesterday online. And, and one definition is, a priority is the order in which things are important to you. Putting things in order, in the order of their importance to you. Putting things in the order of their, how important is it to you. Another definition that I found was that which you care the most about. That which you care the most about. And we're going to learn at the end of the message today, there's some practical ways to find it out. But I'll give you an example. If suddenly your fire alarm went off in the middle of the night, and you realized you had like five minutes to get out of the house, whatever you had, what would you make sure you grabbed? Sitting in church, you may think your Bible, but in the Real situation, you're going to find out what's important to you. That's what you're going to go after. That's what you're going to bring with you. So we're going to learn that what you think sitting in church is your priority may not actually be what your priorities are. But a priority is that which is most important to you. That which is most important to you. And there is an order in our lives of priorities. Most of us don't spend any time thinking about it, so we may not be able to yet identify what it is, but we're trusting that before we're through today that we will be able to do that. So now turn with me to Matthew 22. I think we ended here last time. And Jesus gives us some insight into this. Jesus gives us some insight into this. And Matthew chapter 22 starts with a parable of the wedding feast. We're not going to look there. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were two of the religious orders, they began to get, to get involved in debating things with him. And first of all, we have the, we're not going to go look there again, but the Pharisees are, are challenging him, and they're challenging him about what's lawful, what's the right thing to do. Is it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Because the Roman, the Roman Empire had conquered Israel at that time, and it was clear that they had, because every street corner in, in Jerusalem, there were Roman soldiers parading around, and I'm sure you've seen movies with examples of that. But not only that, the Romans imposed upon them a tax. The Jews were very heavily taxed. There was a temple tax, so the Jewish authorities imposed a tax just to be part of a synagogue. You had to pay, or the temple, you had to pay the temple tax, which was to support the, the, the synagogue or the temple. But then the Roman government imposed a tax on top of that. And they would choose Jewish people to collect those Roman taxes. So, so the Pharisees are asking uh, Jesus, is it lawful to pay 
that tax, and they're trying to trap him. They're not trying to find out information. They're trying to trap him, and of course, Jesus' answer was, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and unto God what's God's. In other words, you don't get out of either of them. And now, having seen that, the Sadducees decide that they're going to get him, so they ask about this story about the resurrection, and they tell them about a man who died, uh, you know, the woman who's married to this man who has like five brothers, and one of them dies, and of course the practice in those days is the, 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 other, the yes, yes, next oldest brother would marry her so that she would have offspring. And he goes through five of them, and, and everyone she marries dies. You'd think finally one of them would get wise to this and say, I'm not marrying her. But the point of the story was Jesus goes on. That's they're trying to trap him. They figured out, all right, we're going to take the law and we're going to push it to its logical conclusion and see what he says. And he says, you don't understand anything. There's no marriage in heaven. It's, it's above that. And, 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 so, and so they're trying to trap him. And so they're all confused now. And now to settle it, a lawyer steps up. Doesn't it seem right? A lawyer's going to, and he really gets into it this time. Verse 34, therefore indeed, I'm in the wrong chapter, there we go, here we go, all right, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they, 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 they hated each other, then one of them, a lawyer, said to him, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, as Pastor Kurt almost preached this message during the announcements, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Of all the 613 rules that they had to obey, 613 rules, based on 10, the Ten Commandments, Jesus reduced it to two. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, and they're vitally connected together. You can't do one without the other. You can't really love God if you're not loving your brother, and you can't love your brother without really loving God. But Jesus says this. It comes down to this. And this is all that God requires all that God requires. See, religion, which is what they were operating under, religion comes up with rules and regulations of what things you're to do or not do in order to, for God to care for you, in order for you to be blessed, in order for God to provide for you. And the, and the more rules you have, the more rules you have to have because you've you got to think of every possibility. And when you're, when you're in a church or a religion that goes by rules, have you ever noticed there are much more rules of what you can't do than what you can do. Why? Because we still live in a fallen, a body that's fallen. It wants to do things that are wrong. But Jesus reduced it down to two very simple principles. And he says, everything else hangs on these two. In other words, these are the foundational principles of life, of the priorities of... This is the most important thing. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God who belongs to you with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments 
hang everything else that God requires of us. God expects us to love Him first. Now we're in a series called First Things First, but the title of today's message, which I had never thought of until I was looking back over this yesterday and realized it's Valentine's Day, the title of this message is, It's a Matter of the Heart. Isn't that neat? It's a matter of the heart. I wish I'd thought all that up ahead of time, but it's the matter of the heart. This is the day of Valentine's Day when we celebrate love, especially issues of the heart. And all God's saying to us is everything with you, everything I require, everything I have done for you is a matter of the heart. If you get your heart right towards God, the rest of it will begin to flow. This is why Proverbs tells us in Proverbs, 20, uh, in Proverbs uh, 4.23, it tells us to guard your heart, to guard your heart with all diligence. Now, if you've got to guard it, that means there's something after it. If you've got to guard something, if you've been warned, look, this is what's important. It's like I've been in places before where they say, you know, be careful, there are a lot of pickpockets here, so you may want to kind of guard your wallet. So I button this back flap and kind of keep my hand around here to keep my touching, aware of my wallet because I'm aware now that, that there's, a, there's, 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 a, there's a potential out there for somebody. I may not be able to recognize them in the crowd, but there may be somebody out there who's after my wallet other than my grandkids. <laughs> but it's open to them. So I've got to guard it with diligence because there's an enemy out there. I can't see him. I don't know where he's coming from. But if I know ahead of time what he's after, I can protect myself by guarding it. And the Word of God tells us, here's the key. whatever, Because Satan uses deceit and trickery. What he's after is your heart. What he's after is your heart. But God's after your heart also. God's after your heart also. What matters to God most in your life is what's first in your heart. Does He have your heart? Does He have my heart first? All right, to understand this, let's go back to Matthew 6, because Jesus is teaching about this. And we, we, I think this is where we ended last time. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is really the, the, <clears throat> the constitution of heaven. This is how things are to operate in the kingdom of God. Verse 19, <clears throat> Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. We ended last time by explaining what Jesus is teaching here, is you choose what your heart, what's first in your heart. It's not just an accident, it's not something that just kind of, well, you know, I was raised in a church where I was raised in a family where everybody loved God, so I'm going to, it's not some, this is not something you inherit. This is something you choose. You choose the priorities of your heart. You choose what matters most in your heart. 
But it's not something you can just sit there in church and will say, I'm going I'm to love God with all my heart. I'm going to love God with all my heart. I'm going to love God with all my heart. Because Jesus is teaching this principle that the way you change the priorities of your heart is by changing your treasure. Where you invest the things that you treasure. Where you sow them, where you, where you invest them. That's why he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do, and, and you have to understand that the enemy of your soul that we just talked about, the enemy that's after your heart, the, he doesn't come to you, especially if you've been uh, in Christ for a long time, if you're faithful. He doesn't just come to you and say, look, I want your heart. He's more subtle than that. We're going to see how he does it. He comes to us with traps that he lays for us so that we'll begin to invest our treasures, the things that are of value to us, in things that he wants us to. He's going to he wants you to invest them. And, and sometimes these investments are very small, little things we do, and we don't even recognize the consequence of what we're doing. But we're slowly investing. It's like if you work for an employer that has a 401k or something like that and you're having weekly withdrawals. Whenever your paycheck's cut, they're taking $5, $10 and they're putting it in that automatically. You don't even think about it. It's coming out of your paycheck before you even get it. And all of a sudden you get a report and realize, whoa, it's been invested. Of course, not lately so much with what's happened, but it's been invested. Look, I, all this is now available to me and you really didn't focus on it because week by week a little bit was sown, a little bit was put in there, a little bit was invested in that and suddenly you have this treasure that you didn't realize with and hopefully you know it's enough for your retirement to, for you to do and but that didn't happen overnight because you didn't have it the sudden it just happened little by little and that's what Jesus is talking about every day you're investing something of value in either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this earth and what's going to follow your investment is your heart because Jesus says where your treasure is where the things that are value to you have been sown, that's where your heart will be also. So the good news is if we come to the end of the study and find out that there are other things that are more important in my heart than God, is we can change that. We can change that. This is good news. Jesus was talking to people whose hearts were not in the right place, telling them how to change. So all of this is for us to realize, first of all, where we are. Because everything with God starts when He's working on us to change us. And everything God does is working on us to change us because He, he wants to bring us literally to the fullness of the image of Christ. And so God works by, first of all, opening our eyes to see where the truth about where we really are. Then as long as we'll acknowledge it, confess it, say, yes, Lord, I see that in my heart. I see that in my life. That's why you are. And then repent. I'm willing to change. I want to change then God can begin to work that change in our life and work with us to make that change. But it starts with recognizing we may not be where we think we are. And one of the purposes of the Word, it's not the only purposes, one of the purposes of the Word of God is to show us where we really are. It's to show us the truth. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Ever able to reveal even the difference between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Word of God can separate the difference between your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And that's what we're trusting God to do today in all of our lives, in me as well as you, because God's been doing this in me. And you know the principle, whatever He's messing with the pastor about, the pastor's going to mess with us and you about. All right, that's good. That means it's fresh.
<laughs> it's real. It's painful, but it's, new. it's real. All right. So that's the principle that Jesus is teaching here. Your heart follows your treasures. You choose what your heart values. That's why God can hold us responsible for whether we love Him or not. Oh, I've got to share this with you. I've shared with you before, you know, the first 10 years of our marriage, I don't know how she survived. I was, I was a mess going somewhere to cause damage. And, and God's grace protected her through all that. And, and as a result of a lot of how God showed me to come out of that, I learned some of the things that we've learned, some of the things that we've learned. And so, but one of the key things that changed me, which is the one that needed to be changed. I was raised, as I've shared with you before, in a very dysfunctional family where love was used as a tool to manipulate. So I was, grew up with absolute... I remember getting married with absolutely no confidence I could love her for the rest of my life. It had nothing to do with her. It had to do with me. I had no confidence. So I was scared when we're getting married that I can't do this. And, and, and when we began to... God began to, to break through some of that the principle that changed my life, began the change in my life about this, was I heard this statement, love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling, it is a decision. It is an act of your will. And it was, wow! If love is a decision, that means it's in my ability to love her. Not based on how I woke up in the morning, which has to do with what I ate the night before, or what I was dreaming about, because I've gone to bed, I'm sure you have, just feeling just wonderful and just in love with God and in love with my wife and wake up in the next morning and you don't even feel saved. Well, I mean, I didn't sin during the night that I know of. I mean, I, you know, it was what you've been thinking about. And so what, suddenly I realized when I heard that principle, it's within my control whether I love her or not. Ah, and then it dawned on me, that's why God can hold me responsible for it. I can't be held responsible for something I have no control over. But if I have the ability to choose to love her as an act of my will, now I can be, because the Bible commands me to love her. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wife. It's that simple. And so that set me free. And so God could not command us to love Him if we didn't have the capacity or the ability to do that. If love was just based, loving God was just based on my heritage or my genes or, you know, there's some of you that were raised in a Christian family and just, you know, the love of God just permeated your home. I wasn't. So what do the rest of us do? Well, the Word of God teaches us that we're all responsible because we can all make the right decision and choice. And it's a daily choice. So... It's with, it, it is an act of my will whether I'm going to love God with all of my heart. It's an act of my will. You choose, and I choose, what my heart values. Therefore, I'm responsible. And God expects, God wants us to love Him first because He loves us even above Himself. You understand God loves you more than He loves Himself? And the proof of it is where He invested His... Tr- oh, this is good. Oh. This is good. The proof of it is where he invested his treasure. And where did God invest his treasure? Where did God take the treasure of his heart, which is his only beloved son in whom he said, I'm well pleased. 
He was willing. In fact, it says in, in, in Isaiah 53, verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's not because God's sadistic and wants to abuse his child. The reason it pleased him is it returned to him something more valuable to him than his own son. And that's you. For God so loved the world that he gave his most precious possession, his own son's life. God was willing to treasure you above himself. And so all he wants back is for that same response from us. Remember, it's a matter of the heart. Because what we're going to look at in terms of priorities, if you don't have this understanding, we can go out of the study and say, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and things are going to get right, and therefore God's blessing is going to flow, His provision is going to flow, and then when it doesn't happen, what happened, Pastor John, you misled us. No, it's all done in the heart. You can do it with the outside. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing to the point that they would be very careful how they wipe the inside of the cup according to the law. And Jesus says, you do all that. You tithe, not just money, but you tithe your pepper and your salt. Well, it's the herbs of his day. You tithe when you get mint and you get cumin, you get these herbs and you take a tenth of them and you tie those. But the, adder, the more important issues of the heart justice and mercy, those things, you're like whitewashed sepulchers. You look nice on the outside, but inside you're just filthy rags. You're dead man's bones. Heart issues. The heart issues. So without this understanding today, we can learn what these priorities are and work them hard and still not give God our heart. So it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of of the heart. And, and when I was looking at this yesterday, <laughs> oh, how appropriate for today. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And I, what I'm going to share with you, I learned teaching this to you in the moment I was teaching it. God was just teaching me. They did a thing Friday night about some of my favorite sayings, and this is one of them. <laughs> I love it when I see that. Jesus said in John chapter 14, excuse me, verse 19. Ah, that's the wrong verse I gave you. John 14, verse 15. I don't know if they can get there. It's just simply this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, right before that, Jesus has said these powerful things. He says, because I go to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Wow! Whatever you ask in my name, ask the Father in my name, I'll make sure it's done. And he says it a second time in John 16. Whatever you ask, I'll make sure it's done. Whatever. Whatever. That's a, that's a blank check. Whatever you ask me in my name, I'll make sure it's done. Wow. 
So I've asked some things and they didn't happen. How come? Because this is a continuation of the same idea. If you love me, whatever I ask you, it will be done. This covenant we have with God goes both ways. We love the part where whatever God has is ours, whatever God's word says is ours, all God's promises are ours, but God is looking for something back. And I was teaching this a couple of years ago. I started getting to an example, and it embarrasses my wife, I know, but I use so often our marriage as an example. And I was thinking, all of a sudden, I dawned on me. And it's so perfect for a day like today. Husbands, I'm going to give you an insight. See, men think in terms of tasks, to-do lists, getting things done. So we go to the supermarket with a list of things, and we're out on the hunt, because we're hunters. <laughs> I got to get the milk, I got to get the eggs, and we'll even make a, a project out of it, you know. What's the fastest way to go get them? You know, what do I need to get for, you know, which is going to be the heaviest in the basket? We make, all, we make a project out of it because we, we, our, our, the, what, what God built into us is to accomplish things. And we feel good when we've come to the end of the day and I, can, I accomplish these three things. Women generally aren't wired that way. To women, it's an experience. <laughs> women are wired around relationships and men are wired around projects. And only God could look at those two differences and says, I'm going to bring them together. <laughs> and for I don't know how many years, I saw our marriage as a project. And, and I was stupid enough on a couple of occasions to even say it. I learned fairly quickly that was not wise, gentlemen. See, I thought that was great, because that means I'm committed to fix this. And she wasn't looking for it to be fixed. And I, women want relationship. They want to know where they stand with you. Well, I thought I settled that 48 years ago when I said I do. That's the old saying, the guy, you know, been married 50 years. She said, well, you haven't told me you love me since the first day. Well, if I change my mind, I will. <laughs> That's not what they want to hear. I used to wonder, why do you need to hear that over and over again? I mean, this is one of the things we've got to fix. Until one time in a seminar somewhere, I understood that women do not think the same way men think. They're not even, they don't even physically see things the way we see them. I can sit here right now and I can focus right now on Don. And I can, I can tune everything. I was the oldest of five boys. I, in order to do anything, I had to tune things out. And men are very good at focusing on one thing and tuning everything else out. Amen, ladies? <laughs> Women see everything all at once. This is why you can have gone to a thunk like Friday night and said, and the wife said, you know, did you see so-and-so? No. <laughs> I saw the chicken. I saw the pasta. I saw the dessert. I saw Pastor Kurt with an earring. I wonder where he was wearing that. 
I, 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 I never saw them. Because we see what's in front of us and what we can focus. God, I didn't mean to get into all this. God made us that way because in an emergency, you need to be able to focus on one thing. Where's the fire escape? But women experience everything all at once. So I had to learn for me to tell her, look, you've got to focus on this. It's much harder for her to do that than it is for me. And so on the other hand, men can use that ability to focus to tune out what they don't want to hear. Hmm? To tune out what they don't want to see. And men, we have to learn to use that responsibly. Like only in an emergency? (laughs) Her emergency, not yours. But women, they'll feel everything that's going on. So I said all that to show how we're not wired the same way. And men, the sooner you learn that, the happier your marriage is going to be. And it's all leading up to this point that I saw one time when I was teaching, because Jesus is talking the same thing. You've got a nice man, young man, and he's fallen in love with this beautiful young thing. And it's Valentine's. They take her out to dinner. Has flowers for her and card for her. He's doing everything. Just he's doing everything, just the right way. I know because I saw a bunch of them lined up in the um, at the card rack yesterday in in the in the uh, 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 pharmacy. And 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 what's the what, what do I I got to do? I got to get a card. I got to get. I got. I got to do this. And my wife's good about this, but there's someone was when I asked, when did you buy that? Hmm. Women want to know that you've remembered their anniversary, your anniversary, birthdays, all of those things. Why? Why do they want to know that? Why do they want to know when did you buy the present? I mean, it's the same present. That box of chocolates or that hammer or whatever mistake you made, it's the same today as it was a month ago when she hoped you bought it. What's the difference? Because it's not the thing itself. Listen to me, this is important. It's not the thing that you do for her. The way you did it and the thought you put into it tells her something far more important. It tells her that you're on her heart, that she's on your heart, and tells you that she matters to you. She's not an afterthought when don't... Oh, it's Valentine's Day. I'm not catching any of you men off guard. It's the same way with the Lord. Because it's also a matter of the heart. To that woman in your life, to that wife, to that fiancé, even to that girlfriend, to her it's a matter of your heart. Where is she in your heart? And Jesus is saying, this is the covenant I've made with you, I'm making with you. Whatever you ask, whatever, 
Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will make sure I am committing all of myself to you. But here's what happens. You get this nice young man and this beautiful young lady. And this happens even once you're married for 48 years, if you're not careful. And they, and they sit down at the table tonight. And he hands her the card. And he has the flowers for her. He says, I love you. That's what she wants to hear. Oh, dear, I love you so much. Oh, and her heart just melts. And she looks back at him and says, I love you too. Oh, and it's... But they don't mean the same thing. Same words, same tears, and they're both sincere. He means, I want you. (laughs) I don't care about 10 years from now. I want you now. I want to be with you. You're pretty. I like being around you. I like the smell of your perfume. I like the beautiful way you make your hair up. I like you with all that makeup. Of course, she didn't wake up like that. You'll find that out when you get married. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and she, you know, I like the beautiful dress you have. Just, you're just so... And ladies, isn't that why you did that? Isn't that why you put the perfume on and wanted to make sure for, for half an hour you had it just right and you wanted to make sure, oh, does I look... How do, you know, you, because you want him to feel that way. But you want more than that. See, when he says, I love you, he says, I just want to be around you. I like the benefit I get of being with you. You make me feel good. You excite me. I love you. I just, what he means by that is, I just want you. I mean, I want to be with you. I want the benefit I get of having you near me. That's not what she means. She means, I want to be the only one you think of. I want to be the only one you desire for the rest of your life. I want to be it. I want to be your number one commitment after the Lord. I want to be your everything. I want to be your all. I want you to wake up in the morning thinking of me. I want you to go to bed at night and think of me. When there's a break at work, I want you to be thinking of me. I want to be first. I want to be first in your heart because I am giving myself to you now. From this point on, I don't think of any other man. I don't want any other man. You're everything to me, and I want you now. And it takes men years to figure that out. So when Jesus said, I love you, I give myself for you, he's doing what the woman's doing from the heart. I'm everything for you. Whatever you need, I am. I give even my life to you. See, this is why in Ephesians 5, have you ever noticed when you read through there, starting in verse 22, it doesn't tell men and women to do the same thing. It says, wives, obey or respect your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. Why didn't he tell us to do the same thing? Because God knows us. He knows you don't have to tell a wife to love her husband. Because he wouldn't be her husband if she hadn't already given herself to him. Now, I know there's variations and exceptions, but by and large, that's true. He's got to tell the husband, wake up, dummy, love her. (laughs) And then he tells her what love means. Love doesn't mean a box of candy. 
Am I getting in trouble? <laughs> Can I go home with somebody else? <laughs> I thought I was doing well. Oh, okay, I am, okay. I thought this would have a very different tone this morning. <laughs> And he not only tells, commands us to love our wives, he tells us how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He doesn't have to tell a wife to do that for her husband. She's already done that when she said, I do. He's got to tell him, you've got to catch up with her and do that. Oh, but well, wives, he does tell you to do something. You've got to respect respect and honor your husband the way the church is to respect and honor Christ. Why? Because respect and honor is not instinctive to a wife. The wife was made, was what was to made to be a, a helpmate to her husband. I wouldn't plan to get into all this at all. A wife was made to be a helpmate to her husband. Now listen carefully. That means God has ordained and equipped a wife to influence her husband. To influence her husband. And as long as it's being done with the motive of making him better at what he does, strengthening him, encouraging him, then that's influence. The moment it becomes selfish, it becomes manipulation. It's the same gift misused. Which is why God has to tell wives what you are to do is to honor and respect your husband. Well, what if he's a turkey and doesn't deserve it? Well, let me ask you this. Do you deserve to be loved the way Christ loves you? No, we do it first, and then the response will come because you are influencers, women. I know of many marriages that were turned around just because the wife, and I'll give you a clue. If you come to me for marriage counseling, I'm going to tell you, go home and write down the, your husband's ten best qualities. He doesn't have any. Pray, get God to show them to you. Ask God how he sees your husband, not how you see him, and then begin to thank God every day for those qualities and allow God to show you what he sees, the potential that he sees. Because women, you were made, your, your husband needs your influence, not manipulation, your influence. Now let's bring us back to Christ and the church. We try to do that with it. We try to manipulate Jesus by doing things for him and now thinking he owes us something. Right, ladies? We do things for him and all he's commanded us to do is obey him, to love him with all our heart. And the whole point of this is to understand that it's a matter of the heart, not just in this marriage, but also in this relationship. God, God wants is your heart. He wants to be first in your heart. All right. Now, in our relationship with him, Jesus, and this is why this verse always bothered me, about, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I saw this as a heavy obligation to prove my love for him. 
And that's not what it is. He's saying, when you truly love me, you'll want to do what I say. You'll want to do it. It's out of love. In the Old, command, in the Old Testament, it was commandments. In the New Testament, it's a love relationship. I want to obey you because I love you. I want to please you. Not please you so you're pleased with me. I want you to be pleased. I'm growing finally to the place where, and not always, where the motive of my heart in doing things for her, because I can tell, because, you know, she was out for a while yesterday and I went around and did some things around the house. I went and she came on one to tell her all the things I did. <laughs> I put the laundry in, I did this, I did things, because what I'm trying to get from is credit from her. I had to stop myself and say, that's not why you did it. You had to do this because you wanted her to be blessed when she came home. You wanted her to know that you, were, that you wanted to take those things off of her shoulders and do those things for her. I'm trying to change the motive with which I do things for her so that it's out of love for her, not to manipulate her so that she's happy with me. And we do this with the Lord. It's a matter of the heart. All right, now let's look in the time we have left how do we apply this definition? How do we apply this priorities at ourselves? The first thing you need to understand is the one person in your life that's disqualified to evaluate your priorities is you. Because here's what we do. When we look sincerely and honestly at ourselves, especially in church, we judge ourselves by our intentions. Well, I hear this, I want to love, I love God with all my heart because in church, you know, I'm singing to Him, there's tears coming out of my eyes and I love God. That's an emotion and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't mistake that for what He's talking about. Because remember, where your treasure is, not where your emotions are, where your treasure is. So when we look at ourselves, we're, we're, it's very hard for us to objectively evaluate or judge what are the priorities of my heart. What are the priorities of my heart? Because most of us, I say, if I asked you right now to be honest, do you love God with all your heart? Yes, I love Him, because we're looking at the emotion. But that's not what the Bible says. Remember, this is not to condemn any of us. This is to help locate where we are so that God can help us to change this in our heart. How do we know where our priorities really are? Well, we make choices every day. Every day, we're all making choices that reflect our priorities. Let me give you a very simple example. It's not very spiritual, but it's a very simple example. I've noticed over the holidays that my, my pants have shrunk a little bit and my belt has shrunk along with my pants. I, I couldn't have put on any weight, but my pants have shrunk a little bit. So I put on just a couple of extra pounds that I can feel things are just a little tight here. So, you know, I need to really, I need to, I need to buckle down on this and I need to begin to change some of the things that I've been eating. And I know that. I've, I've committed to do that. So last night, I'm tired. You know, it's been a long day. And I had a nice dinner. Tummy's full. I'll go out of a habit and open the refrigerator. And I'm looking at two things. In front of me is a little bowl of fruit, which I know is healthy. In the cabinet next to it is the chocolate ice cream. Excuse me, coffee ice cream. That's the one I like. I have to make a choice between the fruit, which I know is good for me, and the ice cream, which isn't necessarily terrible, but I'd had it three nights in a row. <laughs> I have to make, it's a little choice which you don't think much about. But the choice I make is going to reflect some values in my heart right then. Not where I'm going to heaven or spiritual things, because what I'm, if I eat the fruit, 
it's because it's good for me. And I'm valuing, if I eat the ice cream, I'm comforting myself. I'm making myself feel better in my flesh for the moment. And I'm not going to tell you which choice I made. <laughs> our choices reveal our values. Go back to Matthew 6. Back to Matthew 6. After all of this, Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one or love the other or will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon represents wealth, but it represents more than that. It represents the financial systems of this world. You can't serve, you can't love both of them. You cannot love the world. First John tells us that. You cannot love the world and God. If, the, if you love the things of the world, then the love of God's not in you. You cannot love both of them. So we can sit here in church and say, well, I love God with all my heart. I love God. Well, he's going to go now give us a test. Let's go down to verse 25. Therefore, I've taught you before, the word therefore is connecting what he's just said with what he's about to say. And I'll skim down through this. What he's about to say, therefore, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food? in the body more than clothing. Go to the next verse. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? He's giving a practical thing like that. What, what good has worry ever done? Can it change the situation? It can't. And so I remember being taught, if, don't worry about things because it's not going to change anything anyway. And that's true, but there's a much more important principle here then whether or not it's practically doesn't do any good. Verse 28. So why, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, how they grow, they toil, they spin. Verse 29. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. Now if God so clothes the field, clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, well, how much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31, therefore, because of this, because of all what I've been saying, do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Jesus is connecting worry with your heart. What he's saying here is when you're worrying about your needs, when you're worrying about something, you are treasuring that. Because the principle here is where, what is the, where is my heart? My heart will follow my treasure. And your worry is an indication of your treasure. You're willing to sacrifice your health. You're willing to sacrifice your peace. You're willing to sacrifice everything around you for the sake of worrying over something. We come to church and we want to worship God. moment when we have time together as the family of God to together come into His presence and worship. And so many of us come in here worrying or fretting about things in our life. And that robs us of being able to come into God's presence. We're willing to trade God's presence for whatever it is we're worrying about. That means that's a treasure to us above Him. 
Therefore do not worry, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. The word seek in here refers to what your heart is seeking after. For we, we, if we went back and looked at verse 20, I think it's 22, it talks about where your eye is. And we talked about that before. I'm not going to go back there. For after all these things that you worry about, the Gentiles seek and worry about. Gentiles refer to people. Go back again. Don't go ahead of me. The Gentiles seek them because they have no covenant with God. God has not promised to them. God has not given himself to them. God has not poured his life out on them and established a covenant with them saying, I am your God. I am the supplier of your needs. I am your protection. I am yours. God has not given himself to them because they haven't received Christ yet. So of course they have to worry. They've got no answer. But we do. We're in a relationship, a love, covenant, marriage relationship with the one who can meet every need. So when we worry about these things, we give them a place in our heart that's above God. We are allowing those things to distract us. Remember, remember guard your heart. We're allowing those things to get sown into our heart to pull our heart away from Him who's the only one that can meet them. But what are we to do? Now verse 33, famous verse. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Treasure first the kingdom of God. Seek first, invest your heart in. Go after first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then you're going to starve to death. You're not going to have any clothing and your kids are going to be on the street and you'll be a mess but you'll put God first. That's not what that verse says, is it? This verse says if you put God first in your heart, then all the things you need will be added unto you. If you get first things first, then that allows God to pour out on you His provision and His blessings because you're lined up in your heart with the blesser. You're lined up, you're in right relationship with Him. If she's not first in my heart, this marriage isn't going to work right. I could buy her everything, all the gifts she'd ever want. There are women out there, their husbands are able to buy them tremendous luxuries and things like that, but they don't have him. He's at work earning all the money and he doesn't understand. I give you all these things. You don't want the thing, she wants him. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put Him first in your heart. Love God first with all your heart. And, and we want to do that, but the things of this world, the needs of this world, Satan uses those things to pull our heart away from Him where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. One of the standard ways of teaching this, and it's true, the best way to know where your treasure is is to look two places. Where you spend two of the most valuable things you have where you spend your time and where you spend your money. Where do you spend most of your time? And remember, priorities a matter of... I got, see, if, if I don't have to choose between God and other things, I never know. We're going to get into priorities in our family, but just a clue. Baseball season comes, and I could pick on other sports. And your kids are raised up, and they're signed up to play Little League Baseball, or they're signed up to play soccer or something like that. And of course, they're scheduling games on Sunday morning, which is the time when we come to worship God first. But there's pressure. The kids want to play. What's going to happen if they don't play? They're going to make, not, not make the team. They may not do this. They may not. So we give in to the pressure of our kids and what they want 
and we say, well, I'll, I'll go to church next week if there's not a game. What we've just done is put, first of all, Little League, secondly, our children ahead of God. And the question is, what have we taught our kids? What have we taught our kids? I'll end with this. With our youngest kids, I, when our older kids, we weren't even saved when they were young. But when we got older, our younger kids, we hit that point when they were very active in sports. And I explained to the coach that if you have a practice on Sunday and if you have a game on Sunday, we're, we're committed, but we're more committed to God than we are to this baseball team. And I'll tell you that our kids were promoted and respected and honored because we did that. They never lo- but if they had to lose out, I'd rather teach them you put God first in your heart and watch what God can do for you. If we had another two hours, I could tell you story after story after story of when I put God first, what God's done in my life. How God- Remember who He is and what He can do? Remember who He is and what He can do? He can drop it out of heaven. He can suddenly have your boss turn around. I've had judges train them. I've had all kinds of amazing things, impossible things happen because I put him first. You put him, but you don't put him first, then you've taken the control of your life into your hands and actually you've put it into Satan's hands because you can only serve one or the other. And you're not one of the alternatives. We're either serving God or we're serving Satan. We're either serving the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. There's no such thing as your kingdom. It's one or the other. You're you're serving one or the other. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all the things you need will be added unto you. Jesus said, whatever you ask, whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. But if you love me from the heart, then whatever I ask you, you'll also do for me. Because we have a relationship of heart commitment to one another. Bow your heads. I want to start doing something that we probably should have done before. I want to take a moment at the end of the service to just be quiet before the Lord right now in your own heart. And identify what the Holy Spirit may have touched in your heart today. And then I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to do one other thing. Father, help us this morning as we sit here now and don't just leave and forget what we've heard, but we sit here now, Father. Help us to identify that thing or maybe things that the Holy Spirit in our own heart put his finger on and touched us. And now show us today, Father, something that we may need to do differently. Not just resolve, but to do differently. We thank you that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is in us to do just that, to help us, to strengthen us, to intercede for us, to encourage us, to enable us, to make the adjustments in our heart that need to be made. Help us to identify in our heart the things that we've treasured that are not in your kingdom.
but in the kingdom of this earth in which we've invested the treasures that you've entrusted to us, whether it's our finances or our time or just it's our caring. Help us to recognize those and today to make decisions that the Holy Spirit then can come behind and strengthen us to change. In Jesus' name.